now? You would think after 35 years I could work a microphone. Oh, well. Today we're going to look at 2 Corinthians. Uh, 2 Corinthians is, uh, you know, it sounds like the second letter Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, a church very near to his heart. He had gone there and first preached the gospel to them. It's been about 18 months with them. And uh, he wrote the first letter. And then this one, many scholars believe, is really more like three or four letters that have been put together and preserved for our benefit as well. But in this letter, Paul is under attack by some people who have come to Corinth after he had left. They're criticizing him. They're saying he's not who he says he is and his gospel is a weak gospel. And so because of that attack, Paul becomes very personal with these people and he kind of lays his life out for them. And for that reason, it's a very tender letter and one that's very beneficial to us as we kind of lay out our lives beside the life of the Apostle Paul and see, uh, walk along with him and how he can help us. So let's be standing, please. We're going to read the first six verses of chapter four, then we'll talk about a few more verses after that during our lesson time. Therefore, since it is by God's mercy that we are engaged in this ministry, we do not lose heart. We have renounced the shameful things that one hides. We refuse to practice cunning or to falsify God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we commend ourselves to the conscience of everyone in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not proclaim ourselves. We proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your slaves for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who said, let light shine out of the darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. May God bless the reading of his word. You may not be aware, but the year 2012 is an election year. Has anyone picked up on that? And as a result, we're hearing a lot of rhetoric. It seems like campaigning has become where you go out and you just promise everything. And we become kind of used to that and expect that, that if we will elect this person, this person, this person, this person, everything is going to be okay because they promise that they can fix it all and make our lives wonderful. Now, we sort of know that game. The problem is that that game is sometimes played at church as well. That sometimes you can come here and those of us who stand up kind of present ourselves as having it all together. And that if you will believe like we believe, if you will do what we tell you to do, then you are going to just have smooth sailing. Your life will be absolutely wonderful. Paul is dealing with that in this little letter to the Corinthian church. Because that attitude of your faith and of God and the gospel and of Christ just kind of lifting you up and making life so wonderful and smooth and glorious at all times has been around for a long time, even back in Paul's day. Because after Paul had laid the foundation of the gospel there for the church in Corinth and had had to move on to other places, some other guys came in 
And they began criticizing Paul. And they said his gospel is a weak gospel, that Paul doesn't really get it. Because God wants to do so much more for you than what Paul is telling you he will do. In fact, they said that, that if you follow their gospel and the way they're teaching, you will kind of have this high all the time. You will have these ecstatic experiences. Your life will go wonderful. And if there's any problem in your life, if you'll just have more faith... If you will just say the right words, sing the right songs, do it right, then those problems will just disappear. Paul, on the other hand, says, you know, I preach a realistic faith. Now, that's interesting. He doesn't really use those words, but that's kind of the trend or the, the, what he's saying. And because so many times we kind of put faith and reality as two separate different things. You know, you've got your reality of your life, and then you try to live in faith, which almost ignores the reality. Paul says, no, that faith and reality blend together. And that if your faith keeps running into reality and shattering, then there's something wrong with your faith because true faith addresses reality and embraces reality and gives you a way to make it through reality. What we want to do today is take a look again at these passages that we just read through very quickly here, and we're going to kind of stretch them out a little bit. You know, one of the problems many times with reading Scripture is that we speed read, or we just read real quickly, and, and we kind of get a point here or a point there, or perhaps if someone stands up and reads it to us, then we kind of catch a little bit of something. But we're just going to spend our time this morning that we have in stretching this out and letting its message really come to you and to follow along with Paul what he is saying And therefore, I can just try to hopefully stay out of the way a little bit and let Paul teach you the gospel as he understands it. Basically, this is a section of Paul in which he is giving a testimony of how his faith has helped him through his life. And so particularly, if you're someone today that's that's facing some realities in your life that are difficult to face, then Paul is here right for you. He is here to explain to you what the power of God has done in his life. So, let's read through it again. I'm going to click. There we go. He says, Therefore, since it is by God's mercy that we are engaged in this ministry, we do not lose heart. Paul is being criticized and attacked. How many of you enjoy criticism? Good. I had one or two people raise their hands in second, first service. I called them liars to their face. You know, we just don't like criticism. Now, you may grow up enough where you can deal with criticism and, and maybe even glean from criticism, but never do any of us enjoy criticism. You know, I, I don't like criticism when, whenever I'm preaching. Just if you don't like my sermon, don't tell me. Okay? No, that's fine. You, you can tell me. We'll deal with it. Uh, I, I really get upset. I love this church, and I occasionally have someone say, well, I went to that church, and no one spoke to me. Nobody cares. And I don't think anyway. It's hard. And Paul is having his very being attacked right now. So we can relate to that. 
that here he is, he's, he's gone and he's laid out the gospel as he understands it. He's laid out his heart before these people. And now because some other guys have come in, his friends are turning against him and saying, well, Paul's gospel just doesn't do it. It's not a, 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 as mature as this other gospel because these other guys are saying if we do it their way, everything's going to be wonderful. Everything will work. Paul says, let me tell you why that doesn't get me down. I don't lose heart, he says. Do you see? Because it is by God's mercy that we are engaged in this ministry. The thing that kept Paul centered at all times was the fact that he realized that his relationship with God was good. And it was good because God had forgiven him. God had blessed him with mercy and with grace. He had, in, had, had brought him back in and, and, and put his arms around him again. And no matter what else happens in his life, and no matter what else everybody else thinks, that he can make it through because he knows that he and God are okay. So that is something that right off the bat, I, I latch onto that and say, well, Paul, thanks for telling me that. Because so many times I can get distracted by so much else that I can get down about this and down about that, that I forget about the mercy of God. That it is the mercy of God that is the bedrock foundation of who I am. And that knowing that he is there for me and that he loves me and we're going to make it through this together, then that gives me all the strength that I need. Paul goes on to say, and my clicker not working, you may have to click up there for me. Okay. We have renounced the shameful things that one hides. We refuse to practice cunning or to falsify God's word. Paul says, you know, you don't have to worry about me being somebody different than the way I present myself. I, I preach a realistic gospel, and therefore I'm going to be real with you. And, and I don't try to hide who I am in order to preach the word of God. It's not that, that I'm telling you to do one thing while I'm off doing something else. Neither do I try to come up with fancy things to say to you in order to get you all excited because they're true. We don't do this cunning stuff. I don't change the word of God. I'm going to give you the word of God as best I understand it in its full glory and its full truth. He goes on to say, but by the open statement of the truth, we commend ourselves to the conscience of everyone in the sight of God. In other words, I'm about to tell you some things, and I want you just to lay them beside your life and see whether or not they're true. You know, th this is how it's worked in my life, and I want you to honestly say, okay, is that the way I'm experiencing reality as well? Is that the way that I'm experiencing God as well? Does that make sense to me? We're just going to tell the truth, he says. You be the judge. He says, now, if some people don't understand what I'm saying, if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, those who are wanting something else. He goes on to say that the, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Some people just don't get it, but what I'm talking about is the fact that the very image of God, the glory of Christ, the light of the gospel is available to us and can come and live within us to help us to face reality. He then goes on to say, for we do not proclaim ourselves. I'm not up here trying to make me into something I'm not. 
I'm not up here trying to use my personality or anything about me to convince you. It's not me that we're talking about. In fact, that's a problem that we all have in our faith. Uh, I, I read a statement just this uh, week as I was studying this passage that made a lot of sense to me. It said that some people fail to see the glory of Christ because they're the ones standing in the spotlight. And I thought that was kind of interesting, wasn't it? That uh, if you're standing in the spotlight yourself and it really is about you, then it's difficult to see how Christ is working and what Christ is doing. So Paul says, I don't do that. I'm not, it's not about me. What we're proclaiming is Jesus Christ as Lord. As far as us goes, we are simply slaves or servants of Jesus for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who said, let light shine out of the darkness. You know, it's the God, if you go back to Genesis chapter 1, the the God who said, let there be light, and boom, there was light. That that very God has now shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Wow. Now you say, well, Tommy, you were just telling me that it's not that way. That these other guys had come in and the ones that were attacking Paul, they're the ones that said, oh, well, your faith will just make everything wonderful. It'll just make your life just, just, just marvelous and you'll just sail through and, and face, you know, there's just, just nothing, no problems. And then right there, Paul says that the very God who created light is going to come and shine in our lives in the face of Jesus Christ. Well, let's let Paul keep talking and let him lay his life out for you and then you lay your life out beside his and see if what he's not saying is true 2 Corinthians 4 verse 7 through 11 for we have this treasure and it is a treasure the treasure is the glory of God the light of God the image of God Jesus as Lord living within us We have this treasure, but the problem is that we have it in clay jars. Isn't that amazing? Paul takes this truth that God lives in us, that the very power who created this universe loves us, knows us, lives in us. But the reality is that we are clay jars. And that's where the problems begin, isn't it? You know, back in Paul's day, this clay jars were what they stored things in. They would put very valuable things in, in clay jars, and the clay jars protected the treasure up to a point, but they were very brittle and very fragile. Uh, you might remember, if you've read, back in the 40s, a little shepherd boy was uh, walking beside the Dead Sea, and like little boys do, he was picking up rocks and, ta- and throwing them, and he was trying to hit some caves up there in the cliff. And he rock went into one cave, and he heard something break. And he went in, and there he found clay jars filled with copies of the Scripture, portions of the Old Testament that were a 1,000 years older than any copy that we previously had. What a wonderful treasure. But the treasure was in a very brittle and fragile container. Paul says that's what's going on with us. That yes, God is with us. Yes, God lives in us. But this container that he is in is fragile. It's a jar 
made out of clay. Therefore, he goes on to say, this is because we want to be made clear, that it may be made clear that this extraordinary power belongs to God. It's not about us. That the power that God gives us is truly his power, not ours. Now he starts laying his life out before us. He says, we are afflicted in every way. Paul makes no pretense that he's got it all together. Paul makes no pretense that his life is easy. In fact, if you skip over to chapter 11, he lays out a lot of different things that happened to him. He talks about that he's been in prison, that he's been beaten, that he was stoned to death, he's been shipwrecked, that he's had people say all kinds of things about him and to his face. We are afflicted in every way. He says, my jar is a jar of clay and that it is weak. And that is brittle. But because it contains the glory of God, he says, we're not crushed. Now we're beginning to realize what the power of the gospel is. The power of the gospel is not to lift us up and have us soar so that nothing ever comes our way that is a problem. It is not that we will not feel pain. It is not that we will never be afflicted, but we will not be crushed. He goes on to say, we're perplexed. Anybody in this room perplexed? Maybe that's not a word you would choose to describe it. Let me ask another. Any of y'all got any questions? (laughs) You don't have to ask them right now, but we live with questions, don't we? We live with all kinds of questions. People ask me sometimes, why is this happening to me? I don't have an answer for that question. Sometimes I ask, why has this happened to me? And I don't have an answer to that question. We live our life wondering about things, and we can be perplexed and and not be able to figure some things out, some of the, the greatest questions of life. And yet, Paul says, because the gospel lives within me, I'm not driven to despair. There's the power of the gospel. Not to answer every question that we have, not to figure everything out, but to keep us out of the pits of despair. He goes on to say, I've been persecuted, as we talked about. He could list all these things. He says, I know what it's like to sit in a stinky, dark, dank prison cell with the the chains on my arms and my legs cutting into my skin. I know what that's like. However, because the glory of God lives in me, I've never felt forsaken. I'm not forsaken. He is there to help me to get through. Struck down, he said, but I'm not destroyed. This is Paul's great testimony of the power of the gospel in his life. He says, this is what's real. This is what's true. That in this life, the problems are not because of God, it's because we are jars of clay. We are fragile. The next verse he goes on to say, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus. Paul's great call is to recognize that Jesus became human and he knows what it's like to live in a clay jar. 
One of Jesus' statements that we sometimes overlook that he made to his disciples, and if you'll let me kind of paraphrase it, he says, you know, I came and I became a human being, and because of that, I have felt pain. I came and became a human being, and because of that, I suffer. I came and became a human being, and because of that, I will die. And then he turned and he looked at his apostles and he said, Do you think that you're going to have it easier than I do? The master or the slave, the servant, is not greater than the master. And if Jesus came to live and to face life in its reality and to die, then we will too. However, with the gospel inside and with the power of God inside, it's so that the life of Jesus may also be visible in our bodies. Interesting thing, you put a light inside of a clay jar that's cracked, and guess what you see shining through the cracks? The light of God. It's those places where you're broken, those places where you're hurting, that the power of God shines through. I have seen the glory of God in that way. One of the greatest blessings I have by being in the position I am is that I spend a lot of time with people who are struggling through various things in their lives. I go and see them when they're hurting physically. And so oftentimes through the cracks in their clay jar, I see the light of God. Any of y'all remember Billy Krim? By the time I came to know Billy Krim, she was bedfast. And I would go visit her in her home or in the hospital. And she couldn't get out of bed. She was so weak. She was all drawn up. And I would walk in and I would know her condition and I'd say, Hey, Billy, how are you doing? And she'd say, Oh, I'm fine. How are you? And I'd say, Well, I'm doing fine. Well, tell me what's going on. And I would tell her what's going on. And she says, Oh, I'm so blessed. You know what it's like? For someone lying in a bed who can't get up and go, can't get up and do anymore. And yet, through the cracks in her jar, the light of God shines. And she says, I am so blessed. I remember seeing her in the hospital one time. And when you go see her in the hospital, oftentimes they'd come in and she was just a pincushion. They just stuck her all the time. And and they came in with a needle, you know, and I said... Uh, yeah, some of you health professionals are going, it's not that bad. <laughs> well, I'm a wimp. And I, I told her that. I said, Billy, I said, man, how do you do this all the time? I am such a wimp when it comes to needles. You know, I have to talk to myself for three days. Okay, they're going to do it. They're going to do it. Okay. And, you know, and, and she says, you know what? I'm that way too. She said, I hate every needle that goes into my arm. And every time I lift my arm for someone to stick a needle in it, I just say, okay, Jesus, take my hand. I need you now. And she said, he always does. Through the cracks in our jars, the glory of God is seen. Bonnie Alley. Hasn't been long since we said goodbye to Bonnie Alley. She used to sit right over there, didn't she? Oh, what a sweetheart. And those of us who came to know her later in her life and just knew her as that, so sweet, so encouraging, so kind. 
But then we got to know her story a little more and found out that she had no right to be sweet and kind and encouraging. She had every right to be angry and bitter and sad. When she was a young woman, her only brother was killed in a car wreck at the age of 18. And she had to give up her plans and go home and help her parents with the ranch and to help her parents through their grief. Later on, when she married, she wanted to have children. She had no children for a long time. And finally, God blessed her with the birth of a son. And he was the light of her life. He, too, was killed in a car wreck at the age of 18. She moved here to San Angelo after her husband passed away so that her younger sister could take care of her in her old age. She ended up taking care of her sister through her illness and through her death. And on we go. And just thinking about the things that she had suffered and the things that she had seen. And yet through the cracks in that clay jar, the glory of God shone through. I remember when she was diagnosed with incurable cancer, her family was just distraught. Her nieces, great nieces, nephews, they were just, how can we give up Bonnie? And she said she was driving down, or her daughter, her great niece told me that she was driving her after that doctor's appointment where the doctor had told all the family that that was it. There was nothing they could do, and she only had a few months to live. And the niece was driving her down the street, and she was so overcome, she could barely even, she finally had to pull over and stop because she was crying so hard. And Bonnie looked at her and said, for goodness sake, I'm 82 years old. What did you expect? Pull yourself together. (laughs) Let me tell you the truth of the gospel. The truth of the gospel as presented by Paul is that God will walk through us through whatever may come. The truth of the gospel and the reality of life is that we are clay jars and we're not meant in this body to stay here forever. We're not meant always to have ecstasy and joy. We're just not meant to live this life as an easy life to live. There will be pain. There will be struggles. The glory of God is not to come and lift us out of every struggle. The glory of God is to shine through our lives and to walk through those valleys with us. Now, that's reality. That's truth. That's the gospel. We're going to stand. We're going to sing a song. And some of you may be dealing with some of those very issues right now. And we do believe that God is here for you. Some of our elders and staff will be available at the perimeters of this room and and come and let their light shine through their lives because many of these people have also had struggles and know the power of God to get them through those struggles. Or if you prefer afterwards, don't, don't walk out the door carrying that burden. Go back to the parlor. Talk to the elders there and let them pray with you. For truly we are people that stand upon the truth of God and thank God for his mercy and his grace and his power to get us through. Let's stand and sing.